Okay, we are connecting. We are connecting. We are waiting for everybody to join us in the room and we should be live at the moment. So welcome everybody. Uh, my name is uh, Ernst Bart. Um, I am a Dutch but living in Belgium. Uh, that means that I know the world of hockey in Netherlands and Belgium from inside out. Um, other than that, I uh, founded a website called thehockeysite.com, which is a platform for coaches worldwide to share knowledge, which means that on a daily basis, I am so lucky to talk with a lot of players, coaches, and all kinds of members from the hockey family from all over the world, which means that, that uh, I pretty quickly found out that we uh, live our game of hockey in a very different way throughout the world. Uh, we are a very diverse uh, world, and we are a very diverse sport in the way that we live our sport throughout the world but if we embrace that the diversity then we can all learn and grow from each other and that is more or less the main goal obviously for today um let me first give the floor to mike joyce here to uh, welcome us all on behalf of fih academy and then we'll uh, take the i will introduce all the participants to this panel and we'll take it from there mike the floor is yours thank you ernst and um yeah, I guess I'll start with um, with uh, with you. So thank you very much um, on behalf of the FH Academy um, and to the Hockey Site um, for very kindly providing this AirMeet platform for us today and also for hosting. Um, you do it out of the kindness of your heart, um, I should add, and um, the, a true hockey lover and sort of connoisseur of indoor hockey as well. So perfect for this, um, for this today. Um, I feel that there's a little bit of a, an indoor hockey renaissance going on at the moment. And um, it's, a, it's a spectacular and exciting format at a performance level. And then it's a simple and effective introduction to hockey at a grassroots level. There's, um, there's lots of myths around the challenges of, of how we introduce it, both at a national, international and, um, and local level. And, um, and I think hopefully today we can bash some of those myths and uh, and show you that actually wherever you are whatever you're doing there's there's an opportunity to to introduce uh, indoor hockey so um i won't introduce everyone because Ernst's going to do that but i'll just say again on behalf of fih academy thank you to um to them for giving up their time and talking uh, talking with us today and sharing um the fantastic work that they do in various different formats whether it's in the private sector or the or the public sector um, so thank you very much to you all. Um, wish you a, a fun and interesting uh, next sort of hour or so. Um, so back to you, Ernst. Okay, thanks very much, Mike. I'm going to kick you off stage now, so we have some more room for the, the other speakers. So bye, bye, Mike. If you have anything to add, you can always come back on stage. Obviously. Um, so. Um, let me quickly uh, explain to the people who are in the audience. You will see that you have. Two buttons below your screen, uh, a smiley face and a hand. With the smiley face, you can uh, show the appreciation for what you just heard on, uh, on, the, on the stage here, uh, or, or disapproval, uh, or just show the emotion there. Uh, with the raised hand, uh, you can uh, well raise your hand to ask a question and really come on camera, on stage with us to ask a question. For the people who are too shy to come on stage with us, we obviously also have the chat to the right of the of the window here, um, 
where you can ask your questions and we will bring those questions on screen uh, and have those answered by the, the appropriate uh, people at that time. So make this an interactive uh, talk as much as possible. Um, don't be shy, share your questions with us. And uh, that's the moment uh, to, to, uh, to ask all the questions to these wonderful people when they have talked about their project. Um, <coughs> sorry. We are going to talk to uh, different people who have uh, hosted um, or are hosting uh, or will host several uh, indoor hockey projects. Um, some from an, a national association, some from a commercial point of view, um, but all from very different angles and from different uh, starting moments, just to show you what the possibilities are to make something happen around indoor hockey uh, for your club, for your country, for your region, for your team, whatever the case might be in your, in your situation. So um, let's first start with uh, Alistair Cox. Uh, Alistair, we're going to bring you on stage. Alistair is the director of facilities, the manager of the facilities for the FIH. Um, so he's going to talk to you about yeah, all the needs uh, around facilities for, for indoor hockey and all the possibilities there. And uh, let me start off maybe with a, a question directly to you, Alistair, uh, and maybe put you on the, on, on the spot immediately as well. Because indoor hockey, why does it need to be indoor? That's a really good question. And I see no need at all for it to be played indoors. It can be played on any suitable area. So uh, that's a nice lead into. I've got a couple of slides that I'm, I'm going to share the screen. Uh, I will apologize in advance if anybody hears any construction noises in the background. Uh, I'm at home and we're having a new kitchen fitted as we speak. So uh, I'm trying to blank it out, but I apologize if you hear a bit of background noise. But let me uh, share my screen. If somebody can confirm when this screen appears. Perfect. I think there you see are. that now? Lovely. Yep. Thank you. So let's start off with the question you asked, Ernst. You can play indoor hockey indoors or outdoors, or maybe in between the two where you have some sort of temporary roof structure over, over the top, uh, maybe in an air dome or uh, a frame fabric building, maybe some sort of a shelter over your outdoor hockey field during the winter months. But the basic requirements, you need an area that is something between 44 uh, and 22 meters in size. That's the recommended size. You can go down to, we recommend, the, the rules of indoor hockey recommend that the minimum size is 36 by 18, but I do know people use slightly smaller areas as well. So um, a range of sizes that will allow you to accommodate indoor hockey in traditional sports halls, certainly sports halls in Europe. Um, the area is, similar to that used for handball, for futsal, for many, many other sports played in the typical sports hall, school gymnasium, leisure centre, whatever it may be. Uh, we recommend that you have a margin around the outside of the playing area for players' uh, protection so they don't run immediately into uh, a wall or, or some sort of structure. Uh, and again, the recommendation is three metres at either end and one metre at either side. Um, I know people use less 
but I think that should only be done if you can sort of justify that in terms of a risk assessment to ensure that the players are not going to uh, be injured if they do run into a, a structure. Um, in terms of the flooring, um, that's clearly very important. The key thing is that the floor or the sports surface should be smooth with no ridges or wrinkles. We we don't want the ball lifting off the surface when it hits a hits an edge or a step in the surface. Um, the flooring can be anything from uh, painted concrete upwards. Um, if you're in a sports hall, it's likely to have some form of impact absorbing surface, mm -hmm. and that's probably preferable because it provides a bit more comfort and protection to the players, particularly if they fall over. And whilst indoor hockey is meant to be, in theory, a non-contact sport, players will inevitably knock into each other. People will fall over in the heat of a game. So providing a bit of protection to them uh, is certainly justified. Um, I think one thing that I get asked a lot, and it, it is a consideration, is that particularly on highly polished floors, timber flooring, etc. there is a risk that the hockey sticks will scuff the surface. That can be an issue for some venue operators, um, particularly when they've got a high-quality a high facility, maybe where basketball particularly is the primary sport. Um, they like a highly polished gloss finish. Um, they might be upset if the hockey sticks start, stop, start marking it. So just be aware that when you're selecting venues, that, that inevitably there will be some surface damage, potentially. It won't be significant, but visually it can be an issue to people and uh, that can impact on them, allowing you to return. Do, so we, do you have, if, if you allow me, Alastair, do you have a solution for that? So in, in the case that you have a perfect venue, but you have a difficult floor, what could be a possible solution there? You, you, ultimately, if it's a temporary facility, if you're looking to host a tournament or something, I would suggest maybe overlaying the the normal floor with, with a, a portable covering. Um, that could be some sort of vinyl sheeting that comes in rolls. That, that's what we have done at the last few indoor World Cups, for example. The advantage of that is as well, you then up, end up with a floor that only has the indoor hockey markings. You haven't got the multiple volleyball, basketball, badminton etc etc so it makes it a much clearer cleaner venue which just visually is more appealing probably gives a bit of impression for the sport it, you know it's, it's a better spectacle spectacle for sponsors etc etc um some of the marks will polish out as well depending on the type of flooring uh, I, I think the timber flooring is probably the most susceptible to damage um you will get scuff marks if you have some sort of vinyl type flooring uh, but they can be buffed out with good maintenance, good cleaning. But it just increases the the logistics of organising the event, of hosting an event. And as I say, it's, it's the negativity in people's minds that I think is the biggest problem, that the venue operator is going to be really cautious about that potentially. Um, as I say, in terms of the flooring, there's a wide range of products out there. Um Vinyl flooring, timber flooring, plastic tiles that clip together. They're, they're all perfectly satisfactory, providing you've got a good base structure to lay them on. That's the key thing. Um, at the moment, the uh, from an FIH point of view, we, we, we have our quality program where we endorse uh, and have standards for the quality of the outdoor surfaces used on, on the 11-a-side fields. 
Um, I hope to expand that to, to provide some guidance for indoor flooring as well so we can start endorsing suitable products that the people can buy with a little more confidence that that is actually a, a surface that is suitable for indoor hockey. So that's something on the, on the work programme for, for this year. Mm -hmm. uh, moving on, you obviously need two goals to play the game. Uh, the, the goal sizes are smaller than the uh, 11 aside goals. So obviously you can't just bring in a set of hockey goals from the local club or what have you. Uh, the goals are three metres by two metres with a one metre, they're one metre deep. Um, if they are used specifically for indoor hockey, they will probably have back and sideboards and they would be uh, 460 millimetres, 0.46 of a metre in, in depth. Uh, but they are not essential. They're, they're recommended, but it's not essential. And as you can see in the bottom picture on the screen, um, that is actually a handball goal. So you can, if handball is, is popular in, in your, in your uh, country, you, you, you can share and use the handball goals. Uh, obviously, they don't have the backboards. I suppose the only downside is with a handball goal is that repeated impact of the ball is going to put more stress onto the nets. So you, you might, again, find people complaining that the nets need replacing more frequently than uh, the normal. Um, there are portable goals or collapsible goals that fold together, so it makes storage very convenient. So storage is always a big issue in, in, in sports halls and gymnasium. So flat pack goals is, is certainly worth considering um, if you're um, looking at that particular type of venue. One thing I would emphasise is that the goals need to be either anchored to the floor um, attached to the walls or weighted to make sure that they are stable and cannot fall over if players run into them or collide with them. Um, these goals are quite heavy. There have been injuries both in indoor hockey and other sports um, where people have collided with a goal. The goal has toppled forward and, and then caused quite serious injuries. Um, so I, we would emphasise the, the need to ensure that the goals you're using are used in accordance with the manufacturer's recommendations. Um, it might make life a little more complicated in terms of setting them up, but I, I wouldn't uh, wish to uh, neglect the need to, to, uh, to do that. Within the quality programme, we do already have indoor hockey goals. So we have some standards that have, we have developed. Those are, are based on the rules of indoor hockey, but we've taken it further to ensure the quality of the materials used to make the goals, the stability of the goals, etc., are all as good as they can be. The manufacturers are required to have good manufacturing quality control and to offer um, warranties that we consider appropriate for the life of the product. So there are manufacturers of indoor hockey goals who have their products endorsed by the FIH. You can find the details on our website. The link is at the bottom left-hand side of my screen. Um, and we would encourage you, if you're buying goals specifically for indoor hockey, to, to buy goals that are, meet our standards. Likewise, down the, the sides of the uh, the playing area, you you need the, uh, the sideboards. Um, they're 100 by 100. Ideally, they're tapered on the inside edge so that the ball doesn't lift up vertically. It's, it's contained to reduce the risk of the ball striking the players. Uh, and as with the goals, we have uh, set some standards to try and ensure good quality boards enter the market and they have our endorsement. 
but we recognize that many, many people will make their own boards. It can be blocks of timber. It can be aluminium section. It can be a composite. There's a multitude of different uh, ideas out there. They all work. Some are better than others. Some are clearly more expensive than others. You, you, you tend to pay for what you get. Um, again, I would say storage of the boards can be an issue. So having them in relatively short sections that can be stacked on a tro trolley for easy storage is worth considering. So just consider that again, because as you can see in the picture, it's a, it's a reasonable size uh, area that you need to store those boards. So putting them into a, in, into a, a storage area is always going to be a challenge when you've got other, all the other sports equipment. Um, just a little bit on some of the other questions I get asked, typically uh, both from a recreational but also from a competition point of view. Um, ideally, the height between the floor and the ceiling should be a, uh, at least seven, seven and a half metres. It's only a recommendation. It's not essential, but I think we want to just make sure that the, the area does not feel too oppressive. So a low ceiling height is not great. 7.6 metres seems to be a very typical height for sports hall gymnasium, certainly, again, across across the whole of Europe. So uh, that should find uh, lots of venues for to use. And in terms of lighting, we have set different lighting standards uh, for the different levels of play. Uh, these are very, very similar to what is used, uh, again, by a multitude of other indoor sports. So we're not asking anything for very specific for, for indoor hockey. It's just fitting in with the other sports. I think with indoor sports, the one thing I would say is the positioning of the lights is quite important. What you don't want is particularly for the goalkeepers is to be having a light shining directly into their faces. So they're dazzled. So um, depending where you are in the world, we do find that certain sports will take priority and you might find the lighting is designed for badminton. The badminton courts will be lying at 90 degrees to the indoor hockey court. So the position of the lights can be a bit challenging. So, just give that a little bit of consideration. Um, we are just introducing lighting into our quality program as well. So we have lighting companies who will be able to provide expertise on indoor and outdoor lighting. And finally, uh, we have produced a guide that summarizes all the information I've just given and goes into a lot more detail. Um, hopefully that will answer any questions people have in the longer term about what is required for an indoor hockey facility. Uh, it's a long link there. Once I, I've kicked off the stage, I will copy that link and put it into the chat. And uh, good idea. I'm assuming that if people want, uh, Michael Andre will share these few slides with, with everybody following the, uh, the webinar today. So that's everything from me. Um, if there's any questions on the facilities, I'm happy to take them. If not, I will let you get onto the main thing is actually playing the game. Now you've got the, the floor to play on. Absolutely. So first, you need first you need the infrastructure. So with, with, without uh, without the floor, without the goals, without everything, we, we, we can't do anything. So uh, thanks for, for showing us the possibilities there, Alistair. Uh, if anybody has a question for Alistair, now is the time. But at the end of the talk, uh, we can also round up the, the questions and, and get back to uh, to this particular part. So, but then uh, for now, I am going to uh, kick you off stage and we are going to bring on some of the others here. And we are going to talk about the possibilities that we have uh, throughout different uh, 
different nations. So, um, Madeline, I don't know if you're having connection problems. Uh, there you are. Perfect. Good. Um, okay, Alistair, thanks very much for, for your presentation here. I'm going to kick you off stage for the moment. And uh, if anything is uh, uh, asked in your direction, I will bring you back on so that we can uh, revisit that topic of uh, the infrastructure that is needed there. So, um, but let's first now start talking about, uh, yeah, the people who have done projects and, and who have created projects uh, around indoor hockey. And um, we just heard Alistair talk about the, the, the needs that, uh, that we have when it comes to a competitive environment. Uh, and and, and then, then obviously there are several more stringent needs towards infrastructure. But we can start off pretty basic and pretty simple with 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 lots of other possibilities as well, and I think Nacho, um, that you have some 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 great uh, examples to show us, and and a great story to tell us. So let, let me st first introduce the, the the four of you uh, here, and and then Nacho, I will will start with with maybe your story and your project. So Nacho Uzos is the head coach for Complutense, uh, a club in Madrid in Spain, a club where uh, it's typical European style family club. Uh, but what makes it specific is that everybody at that club plays both outdoor and indoor hockey. So, but we'll hear all about uh, his his project and, and, and his story uh, in in a little while. We've got uh, Ross Willis on uh, on stage here, who is uh, at the moment in Ireland, but uh, he is also working for PSI, and PSI is a South African organization. Well, it started off in South Africa where it launched indoor hockey and, and created quite a buzz around indoor hockey for that country. And, but they've, they've, they've moved to international. So there are PSI uh, projects now in, in the UK, in Ireland, and, and trying to get into mainland Europe as well. Um, but we'll hear more about your projects in a little while. We've got uh, Will Davey from, from the UK, uh, Operations Director for Indoor Hockey UK, uh, who... Basically, well, you can correct me if I'm wrong a little bit later now, Will, but took over indoor hockey from, from the National Association and, and, and just made, 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 made it happen in, uh, in England. And we've got Melin Hupner from uh, USA Field Hockey, Director of Events for the National Association in the, in the US, who's going to talk to us about uh, yeah, some of the amazing events that, that uh, they did in the past and are launching at the moment as well again. Um, indoor festivals and, and indoor competitions uh, that, that really surprised me. So it will be really uh, interesting to hear your story. But, but let's start with, uh, with Nacho. Nacho, Complutense. It's a relatively small, family-oriented, typical Spanish hockey club. What, what, what makes it special for the world of indoor hockey? Don't forget to unmute, uh, Nacho. Yes, Hello. I think uh, we we love indoor hockey because it is in, in our roots. Uh, our club uh, began a, a lot of years ago uh, in an elementary school by a, by a priest, is uh, Fray Pedro Tapia, uh, in, in the school that he received the National Association uh, people who, who wants to want to, to show hockey. And he fell in love with hockey, and, and he put every uh, children in the school to play hockey, uh, like 60 years ago. So they, he only uh, had a, a 
indoor outdoor uh, pitch uh, with with the sideboards and 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 he 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 uh, put everyone to play uh, in in school and he had a, a hockey team in each uh, class of each course uh, of, of the school and and from from then uh, uh, it began to to grow the the club and and we we begin to to participate in in the in the other competitions but we put the uh, this model of of um, of uh, make grow the, the hockey in 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 other um, in other places in Madrid and uh, we we cannot wait that uh, children comes to to our club and we go to the schools to the elementary schools to to uh, make uh, to make that uh, all the children could could uh, play hockey uh, here in, in Spain or in Madrid there's there's not a lot of uh, water based uh, pitches so. But but in in the schools in every uh, little school in every little town you can find a, a, a pitch outdoor pitch with the, the with the measures of an indoor uh, hockey pitch so uh, we we can make a two two sessions per week with a group of of children and and we only need uh, ten uh, children for for create a hockey school in a in a school so. We put hockey in different uh, schools in uh, different points of Madrid, and then uh, if if they want to to play uh, more seriously, they they can inscribe in the in the club and, and go one day per week to the club and the weekends to 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 play hockey. So uh, we are uh, making hockey two times per week in the school and two times per week in the club. Uh, so it's a a way to to make uh, gr uh, grow up the the club. Yeah. Can can you tell me the, the, the way that you introduced into school are, are those the trainers from the club that go to a school and give the training or just do an introduction and then the school PE teachers take over? No, they are trainers uh, for the club. Usually they are uh, players of the first teams mm -hmm. uh, that, that they have a, a basic uh, a training uh, license and, and 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 they go to the to the schools. And, and we we pay a, a little help for uh, for they are young, young people who who introduce the the basics of, of, of hockey, and also uh, the local association of of Madrid have a program of uh, indoor hockey at schools, and and they provide uh, us with uh, public um, uh, money for 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 help to to these coaches. Yeah, because then obviously the first question when you start projects like this is how do you finance this? Yeah. Where do you get the money from? Yeah, yeah, this is a, a key point. And but 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 also when when you when you go to to other schools uh, with, with our background and and you show uh, the, the program, um, a lot of the schools uh, are um, interested in put some some budget and or or, or uh, usually, we provide uh, uh, of the the material, the, the sticks and the balls. Uh, we we provide is like like an investment of, of the club for the future. So so we we put uh, like ten or fifteen sticks and balls, and and, and players can 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 they, they haven't uh, they haven't to to buy one uh, for for one class. They 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 can uh, practice one month, two months, three months, and and then. 
they decide to to to, to buy his own stick. So it's a little, little investment for for big uh, benefits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Complutense, can, can you tell us a little bit? Is this a big club? Is this a rich club? How how do you make yeah. this possible? It's, it's not a rich club. Uh, it's a, a club uh, with with like like in a in a family economy. We have uh, looking for its uh, uh, its coin and its uh, money that is, comes inside and go outside. Uh, but but we try to 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 go to all the competitions and to to be uh, the, the more competitive. Um, since since we uh, are in the in the lower levels, um, we don't have a an own club. Uh, we 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 rent a, a public uh, pitch in San Sebastián de los Reyes and and here in Madrid, and and we we try to practice in in the schools and and rent. Uh, we have to look uh, very uh, with 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 a lot of um, care. Uh, how many times we rent the pitch, the public pitch for for our uh, a big budget of, of the year? So so we we make a lot of practice in the in the schools. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many schools? Are, how many kids are involved in your program at the moment? We have uh, we we are four hundred uh, players in in all the, the club. Probably one hundred uh, are seniors and. And 300 are in in schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are in in five uh, elementary schools uh, at this moment, and and not not all the the kids that are playing in the elementary schools go to the to the club, but almost all uh, when when they are under under 12, uh, almost all uh, continue with 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 the club. Okay, great, great. Um, what, what are if if let's say okay, I I, I run my own club or if I, have, I have a couple of teams uh, and uh, somewhere else in Europe or wherever in the world, and uh, I have a couple of schools around me. What what are the and I want to copy your project. What are the, the 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 things that I have to take care of and and what are the difficulties and what are the, the tips that you can give for somebody who wants to copy a project like yours. For for me, the, the first is is the passion. Uh, you you have to to be disposed to jump uh, around uh, over all the obstacles that that uh, uh, it, it appears in front of you. Um, and and the other is the for me the idea that you can uh, practice hockey everywhere. Uh, and and for me, it's a very powerful idea. Uh, probably you cannot play a indoor hockey indoor World Cup uh, in uh, anywhere, but but you can uh, put uh, inside every kid the 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 hockey passion uh, in 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 any pitch. I I want to to show for, for me the, the better example uh, of, of the of the pitch of one of our schools that yeah, cool. uh, probably. It helps to me to to we'll share the screen and show yeah. me the picture because I know that you are going to show us a very cool hockey pitch, which will show that that uh, yeah you, you you can start playing indoor hockey at uh, 
at any kind of an environment, any kind of a pitch. Uh, you, you just need the passion to get the thing started there. Uh, I cannot, I, I don't know if I, because I have some, um, with the... Do you have a problem sharing? Yeah, I have a problem to... Okay, then then we'll 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 share the we'll share the picture that you want to share. We'll share that later on in in the WhatsApp uh, in the in the the chat group here. So uh, we'll share we'll share a link so that you yes. can see what he's made. But just to describe it, this is just a a a, a pitch that that is a a handball pitch or a a futsal a a, a, a multi sport pitch, but very small with walls all around you. And you have even you have a tree in the middle of your pitch, and you can still play hockey there. I don't know if maybe now ah, there we go. Yeah, we are seeing your we're seeing your screen. Yeah, so this is the this is the hockey pitch. Uh, uh, as, as I put uh, there, it's no sideboards, only the wall. You can you can rebound the ball in in the wall if you want. Uh, there is only fifteen meters of wide and, and thirty five of long you have a, a tree in the middle uh, as, as you can see and, and it doesn't matter if the ball uh, uh, fall here and, and you restart the, the player who restart is the, the first player who get to, to who, who coach the ball and and from here we we get uh, almost all of our first team players uh, actually uh, yeah. so it doesn't matter that it's a small uh, pitch uh, because you, you they they have like uh, uh, inconvenience and but some benefits uh, here uh, the players are touching the ball every 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 time so mm -hmm. the, the ball is not going uh, in another way so uh, I think you can uh, uh, you, you can play and you can uh, teach to the to the guys and a lot of uh, basic skills in, in this this kind of, of pitches. Yeah. Uh, here's another school in Madrid, it's Colegio Valdeluz. Uh, Valdeluz School is one of the of the most important um, uh, hockey uh, clubs or, or schools in, in Spain. Uh, as, as I put there, uh, there are eight uh, Olympic players and two silver medalists. That uh, start to play to play hockey in, in this court. This is an outdoor indoor pitch, but uh, it has uh, sideboards and it's uh, quite better. Natural, natural. We're still seeing the first picture, so you maybe need to switch to the second slide. Or what? We're still we're still we're still seeing the, the first slide here. Oh, you only see the first. I, slide? I we see your PowerPoint screen. Oh, okay. Sorry. No that. problem. No problem. We'll get there. I think that the, the main why you try and fix that the, the, the main message that that we should all take from this is that that yeah the biggest enemy of getting things done is perfection. We don't need a perfect pitch. We we don't need a perfect situation to get projects started. Uh, if if you have a pitch, if you have a, a field where where you can play, even with there we go. Valdeluz. So even if you have a pitch that is maybe not perfect uh, for international competition, but you can play hockey there, then you can get started, and uh, and even the big hockey players will come from there. Natural. Yes, uh, I, I don't know. You, you see now the Valdeluz. Yes. Uh, 
yeah, that it is uh, uh, better than the, than, the, than the other that I saw uh, before. And because you have the sideboards, you, you, you have the, uh, the, the correct goals and, and the correct, like, correct uh, measures of the, of the pitch. But also it's an outdoor uh, court and, and someone uh, could, could say you that uh, you, you cannot play when it's rain. Okay, but we're in Spain, so, so <laughs> we have not that, that, that problem so with, with so often than in, in other uh, countries or in other cities. So uh, this is, for me, this is like a temple of, of, of hockey because uh, most of my favorite players in, in the history are, are from this pitch, no? eight Olympic players uh, in the last nine Olympic Games, two silver medalists, uh, and 24 years national uh, champions for so for me. It's a very special venue of, of hockey and for a lot of, of people in Spain who knows that uh, uh, this is cool. But this is not all in our club. We also for this only for this is only for for start uh, with with the children and, and for the first step of the development. But um, we we also have a, another card of, of a, a in, indoor card. I don't know if you see the next uh, the next slide. In, Not yet. No, you have to switch it again. Maybe I don't know why. No problem. <laughs> This is the university uh, court. I don't know if you can still see the still still in the Val de Luz. Oh, okay. So I don't know. Uh, no, no problem. Just, just just talk about it. Yeah, that our first teams, uh, of course, they have to to practice in 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 good uh, in good pitches. So. so we have to, we have to rent and, and we have to to ask for for another uh, uh, official uh, another card that you you can play in, in official games of national competitions and and, and of course I, I want to show but I don't know if you if you are uh, uh, if you can see now yes okay this is this is our first team uh, in in the official uh, court of our university. Uh, as, as you can see, it's a a, a very good uh, wood floor and and with with all the facilities and all the the requirements for for uh, elite players. So uh, probably we 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 can uh, we cannot uh, make that every players uh, enjoy this 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 kind of of pitches, but but we can uh, do that every players enjoy hockey. And this is the main goal for us. No, absolutely, a gr great story, Nacho. And what what I always take from 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 the story, and I heard it before now, is is that you can start playing hockey on any kind of an environment, on any kind of a pitch, and and still become a top top player in in, in the end, if that is your goal. But the main goal here is to get the passion of playing hockey to as many children as possible. And, and, and from there, uh, yeah, let, let grow the game. But uh, don't work, wait for the perfect situation. Just, just find the pitch where you can make it happen. And uh, I think that's a very cool story, uh, Nacho. So thanks for that. Um, let, let, let's, let's move on to possibly a completely different story. Madeline, um, in, in, uh, in the US, 
you've 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 seen you've seen uh, well you, you take some big uh, some big approach there so uh, it's a completely different project obviously from from Nacho but uh, t- tell us a little bit about the indoor hockey festival and all the events that you're launching yeah for sure um but first of all good morning everybody from Virginia Beach um I'm here for our indoor season tour Um, Mm -hmm. We start off with our National Indoor Festival, which is a new concept that we created um, in order to capture as many different age divisions as possible and really create more of a unified experience for everybody. You know, um, we we at USA Field Hockey, we think it's really important to aspire young athletes. um, So to have, you know, U10s see adults compete or U19 athletes compete. Um, I know that our... um, divisions and groupings differ um, a little bit than everybody else's, but we do, you know, we have U10s, U12s, um, and those are the only divisions that are co-ed. After that age division, we do break it up um, to go to U14s. Um, There we find that boys and girls, the level of play is just different. Um, So that's when we do separate the age divisions. Um, And then we have U16 girls, U19 girls, U19 boys. So basically the U14 to U19 category for boys is open. Um, and the men's and women's divisions. Um, so we're really excited and we're very pleased that we could be able to, you know, provide this opportunity this year because there is a need um, and definitely a desire for more indoor hockey. Um, so, yeah, that's the first thing we got going on this weekend, as well as our U14 tournament, um, which is a combo happening somewhere else in Pennsylvania. <laughs> um, that's just going to be just shy of 200 teams. Um, and I can show and this is this is why I'm here. I do want to show you guys, you know, the magnitude of these events that we deal with. Um, It's truly a a production. It's big. And for everybody to be involved, um, and then, you know, um, yeah, just to try to get as many people from across the nation um, into field hockey is, you know, what what we want to do. And Mm -hmm. know that this this is me being really non-tech savvy. So hopefully everybody can see this picture on their screen. This is just one court um, that our U14 girls will be playing on this weekend. Um, And of course now it's, here goes internet issues. Um, There are the girls. Yep. Some youngins, some umpires. Um, Here's just, you know, again, this is a co-ed, this is for a co-ed division. Um, So Mm -hmm. opportunity for both boys and young girls to play. Um, This is a kind of a side view um, so you have a court here to the left and you have a court here to the right. And then there's a couple other courts way down there. Um, we throw these bow nets in there just in case a ball does come skyrocketing, you know, off those boards. Um, here's a good overview of the facility. And you can see that we allow, you know, for spectators up above. Um, that oh, is yeah. about, I want to say, at least 15 feet up. Um, so there's not going to be, you know, any balls that are going up <laughs> You know, actually technically 20 feet with where people's heads are because there is, you know, a, a fence along the, the upper mezzanine as well. Um, this is in Spooky Nook in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. They run multiple events. Um, they have their own club there as well. Um, and we're fortunate that we have, you know, a good relationship with them that we are able to, you know, have have this event there. And, um, and yeah, so you can see there's a bunch of different lines on the court. Um, mm-hmm. Red is ours, obviously. Um, but again, just a nice side view of the area that we're working with. Um, yeah, there's one more. 
Now let's see if we can get, and here is our next upcoming event and I can take a quick, quick pause. Um, so the other events that we deal with are um, the U16 and U19 divisions, and those are qualified qualification only events. So that happens around December into January across the United States where clubs are able to go to qualifying events, qualify, <laughs> and then move on to the national tournament, which takes place in February and U16s is the beginning of March. Um, so so the, fin the, fi the final part of that is in a central location where everybody comes together. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So U19s um, are currently in Richmond, Virginia. So I will make mosey on up over after this event this weekend um, for next weekend's event, which is the U19s. Um, and U19s is not just girls. We do have men and women playing there as well. Um, and the U19 boys division. Um, the boys um, and young men, I should say, um, really want to play where the men are playing because, um, you know, it's, it leads for good coaching. It leads for just good watching and collaboration. Um, as well as we have a huge amount of college recruiting that happens at this event. Um, so we have college coaches that want to, you know, pick up a stick and play. <laughs> um, yeah. So U19 men, I'm sorry, uh, pardon, uh, women's and adults or just the adult division at the U19 event um, is open. So you do not need to qualify for that. So we kind of just leave it as a free for all. Um, and it, it's usually a fun atmosphere. Um, we are in the works of doing our own adult national indoor club champion or you know championship um but that is you know still very much in 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 the pipe so not not to fruition yet but that is the next step for us um but i can show you guys a little bit more about the u19 facility in richmond oops uh, i hope you guys can still see that nope i exited that sorry about that um so this facility in itself is insane <laughs> um solely because it's a building that we build out from scratch. So we come in, we lay down the, um, the, 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 I'm blanking on the word, but it's like, you know, the, the flooring, yeah, the insulation that goes underneath the flooring. So literally the insulation needs to come down. Then you have to put, you know, then stack your sport court out and lay it all together, piece it out. Then you have to line the court. Then you have to put the boards together. Then you have to assemble the goals. Then you have to, you know, put up the back netting um, and you'll that, have that's a big system. production. Yes, it is. So you can see here we've upgraded our trussing system for sure um, as to, you know, what we were speaking with earlier um, to when balls do ricochet off netting. That is the number one thing that we found has been an issue. So to upgrade that option, you'll see like this blue right between these two young boys is actually like a huge cylinder block. And that is the, you know, the weight that we need to put uh, to make sure that those things don't fall over. Cause mm -hmm. we literally have, you know, these courts back to back um, just to get as many in as we can. Um, the max and that we ju have. Ju just, just to give us a, an idea also of the size of these kinds of events, yep. uh, how, how many pitches are there? How many teams, how many players are there? Yep. Um, so for, um, all our indoor events now we are running on nine courts. It used to be eight, um, but with the the current schedule system that we were working with, we, you know, said, "Wow, if we added one more court, we would be done in like two hours early. Wouldn't that be great?" Because <laughs> um, we really go from seven o'clock till ten o'clock, um, and wow. it's a long day for all these athletes, these umpires, and you know, for our staff internally. So, however, yeah. and even coaches that are there to recruit. Um, so, to make it a better event and overall feel. Um, we have added an additional court to allow for that. Um, the indoor 
season itself, um, we probably see over a thousand teams. Um, but for the national indoor events specifically in the national indoor festival, we're just over 600. Um, it's still a lot. The biggest one is the U14, which is happening this weekend. Um, that takes place over four days and that's 196 teams. We wow. have done 210 teams in the past. <laughs> However, that was when I was first starting and I said, let's go big and it made for very long days. Um, so yeah, ac across the country. Um, but the, I would say two thirds of our clubs, the active USA field hockey clubs do participate in indoor, which is great. Um, but we do still have, you know, some clubs that just don't do indoor. They like to focus on outdoor. Um, mm -hmm. And that kind of depends on their geographical area. Um, indoor for the United States is a lot more East coast central. Um, whereas, you know, people out in California and other places, they don't really have the indoor facilities, but to our point, you don't really need indoor to play indoor. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, so they folks, some people just choose to focus a little bit differently. Um, again, depends on all the facilities that they have available and say for Chicago, for example, you would not want to play indoor outdoor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so rentals and stuff like that can be difficult. Um, I know COVID has definitely pushed a lot of people off the indoor track and to just focus on, you know, what is their next step for, you know, their club. Um, and unfortunately we don't have indoor for college um, or university. So for the most part to focus on outdoor does theoretically make mm -hmm. the most sense. However, mm -hmm. you know, indoor can be successful and you can, you know, compete internationally if you stick with it. Absolutely. What, what, what are the goals for, for hosting these kinds of events and tournaments? Do, do, do they, do you grow your clubs from this? Do you grow your association from this or, um, so mainly it comes, um, so USA Feel Lucky is a nonprofit. So all of these events that take place, these massive scale events, they go right back to our national programming um, to go help, you know, Team USA and, you know, the, our men's and women's teams. Um, so that is the end, end all. Um, but to do that, you know, membership revenue needs to increase. Um, so to have athletes be members of the USA Feel Lucky, that helps in this category. Um for just participating in an event, you know, that helps boost it up in another category. Um, so for when it all comes down to the, the delivering of a national indoor tournament or the national indoor festival, it really is those team registration um, that, you know, ends up helping. Um, yeah. But in regards to, you know, who, what is the benefit for, for, you know, running a tournament? Um, it's basically a sanctioned event sponsored by us. Um, so you want to host a qualifier, say in, Nebraska, um, <laughs> you would reach out to us and say, hey, you know, I'm interested in hosting a qualifier. These are the, you know, the facilities that I have. Um, and we would work, do our best to try to work with you and set up um, an actual tournament. Um, so that way you can, you know, have a competition platform for your athletes as well as invite people in and expose the, you know, the game of indoor hockey to your area. Um, yeah. Yeah. So then this couple more pictures. This is just a side view of that Richmond complex. Here's a big overview. Um, and you'll see we bring in these really big bleachers. Um, this is, you know, the limited people right here. So it's either the 9 p.m. game or it's the 7 a.m. game. <laughs> possibly. Um, possibly. Yeah. yeah. So. No, but the, 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 cool, the cool thing, the cool thing that, that, that my, my takeaway from this and correct me if, if, if I'm wrong here. Um, 
is is that you are actually using these indoor events to to generate money for the for the for the association to create to fund other projects. So right. it, it's it's that's also a possibility. Is it, use it use it to make money and and, yeah. and to create budgets for for other projects of development of uh, of the game. And uh, I think that's a very cool example here. Yep, and we definitely uh, don't um, limit um, our, our you know try to limit our athletes either. We've done a lot of things to. Um, help accommodate teams, you know, that are still starting out and starting to get into the sport of indoor. I mean, that's, you know, why we really do push for the U10, U12s and that U14 division just can be completely open. You don't have to qualify so that we can start at a younger age to then help get you to that next tier. Um, yeah. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Uh, we had one of our guests uh, to uh, with a raised hand, Dinesh. Uh, I don't know, uh, you are on stage now. Can you put on your camera if you have a question, or was that a mistake? <laughs> Not seeing you come on. So then, okay, then we'll we'll move on from here. Um, what what are if, if you're doing it big like you're doing here, Madeline? Uh, what what were the difficulties that that you encountered? And uh, uh, in, in, if you want to set up something like this in in, in another country, what would your, your tips be? I would say start small, then grow big. Um, yeah. Definitely don't don't shoot for the moon right off the bat. There is a lot of different things that come into play that you might not necessarily think about until it's upon you. Um, our biggest challenging challenges is just working with, you know, all these different states, um, especially during COVID times. That that's been difficult mm -hmm. because you know there's state restrictions for traveling, um, but the travel is the main problem and hardship that we really work with um, because yeah. you have to make so many different accommodations for people that are coming in and out um, as well as, you know, umpiring. I I'm sure that's, mm. we, we've talked about that before. That is a huge thing right now. Um, COVID has really changed the umpiring world. So we at USA Pilaki are super, super aware of the, the, you know, the situation and how we can adapt and, you know, you and I had this conversation with Steve Horgan, our director of um, umpiring yesterday. And I said, you know, we really can't have field hockey without umpires. No. So you really, you can't have a game. So it, however we can support and grow that, um, you know, that area, I think will help make people be successful. Cause if you have well-qualified umpires and you can, you know, run a very well executed tournament with that, then, you know, you've got everything that you need to do to play hockey. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, amazed to see the size of these these, these events. And and uh, to be honest, if uh, as a typical European, when, when I think about hockey in the US, we think yeah. uh, it's only being played by, by by girls in high schools and college. That's not the case, as you clearly mm -hmm. shown here. Uh, so uh, and, and do these festivals and do they, do they add to the to, to the growth of the clubs as well? Do they get the people enthusiastic? It gives them um, another route of playing. So if you don't qualify or if you're just not ready to be a part of the big, you know, show, um, this gives a, an excellent outlet for people to just kind of take a baby step into field hockey, still come to a USA field hockey event and support our, you know, our programming. Um, and then, yeah, it's just a small baby step. So that is the goal of the NIF for sure, or, or National Indoor Festival. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, we've got uh, Mohammed here joining us on stage. Mohammed, do you have a question for us? Yeah. Can you hear me? Let, let, yeah, we can hear you. Yeah, here, right. 
I just want to ask Hopna. Okay, let's see because I uh, I saw the, the the picture of your uh, pictures. Uh, so many pitch, so many uh, you know, uh, pitch inside uh, one uh, one place. So yes. let's say when you when you organize and uh, or you call it uh, uh, tournaments uh, at the same time. So is it uh, what you call it? Uh, is it a will be any interruption from the you know other other pictures when 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 the what we call that the empires let's say they they blow the whistle is it uh, it will interrupt other other the pitch at the same time yep that's all. so no that's a great question um and if i'm understanding correctly you're talking about you know having side-by-side -side pitches and having umpires whistles and how does that affect each game um for the most part, um, at least in the older divisions, we don't seem to have any issues with understanding what a foul is. And, you know, but for the younger divisions, yes, U10s, U12s, and U14s, they're still learning the game. So they might not actually know what the umpire is calling them for. So they might, you know, just have be a little, you know, whistle deaf, if you will. Um, but we do have umpires use different whistles on different courts for those younger divisions. So they have, I, I believe they're called tweeters. So they, and they have like the choo-choo type whistle sound. So there are, we do stagger those out, um, particularly at the younger divisions, but for the older ones, um, and really they, they might, the umpires might reconvene, reconvene at halftime and say, Hey, are you, are you, are you finding that that's difficult for the players are not responding to your whistles? And they're like, yes. Okay. Let's swap them out. Um, so that is something on standby that umpires do need to be cognizant of. Um, but for the most part, it's not, um, it's just overwhelmingly loud in general in there because yeah. you were, you know, you hear the boards, um, you hear the cheering of the fans, um, coaches yelling it's very much a huge atmosphere but um yeah having the different whistles is certainly something i would suggest especially if you're going to go very close um but for the most part um the only things that are close are in the older divisions and that's when they're you know it's just a back to back goal not necessarily sideline to sideline um, and for that other tournament um where you saw the sideline to sideline there's still a good you know, 20 foot gap in between there, um, that is, is, is manageable. Hope that answered your question, Mohammed. Uh, if not, just let me know. Um, anybody else got some questions here? We've got a question here. Uh, no, great. Thanks for the answer. So perfect. Uh, gonna remove you from stage again. Madeline, uh, very, very cool story. So, uh, if anybody has some questions for Madeline, uh, jump on and otherwise we are now crossing the big pond again and we are moving to the UK. Uh, Will, can you tell us a little bit about the organization of uh, Indoor Hockey UK? Uh, yeah, so we started uh, back in 2004 as a private organization. Um, uh, the person who started it, his son wanted to play indoor for his birthday. Um, there was no opportunity to do it. Didn't want a football party. Wanted an indoor hockey party, so they made one. Um, from there, it became a yearly event, and it just grew and grew and grew. And as you started inviting more and more clubs, they wanted additional age groups added. They wanted more games. So I think we started off at under twelve boys, one pitch, um, and then we've grown to twelve different age groups over three pitches, four days. Um, 
and so we've grown quite a lot over the few years. Absolutely. Um, but so you are a private organization. You're not not a part of the the national association. No, uh, we we are a private organization who do our own thing. Um, there's quite big gaps. Uh, so obviously the national governing bodies tend to do uh, under 16 and under 18 and adults indoor. Um, so there's this opportunity at the younger age groups to kind of fill the gaps where it's not necessarily being done elsewhere. So we work alongside um, the governing bodies. Okay, great. And, and so now you organize these, these events or, or are these tournament like or, or just a couple of days or how, how do you set these up? Uh, so our biggest event, our championships uh, take place between Christmas and New Year, four days. I say over three pitches, starting at nine in the morning, finishing at 10 at night, similar to what they do in America, just a bit smaller. Um, uh, and so that's our big one. That's how it all started. We've then started rolling out more because people said we can't make that tournament. We want opportunity to play near us. So uh, we launched our, uh, we call it the Derby Grand Slam, which we took it to Derby Arena. And again, it's another free pitch venue um, where we get different clubs entered because obviously it's, our championships are down south, the Grand Slam is up in the Midlands, um, and so we're looking to move them to get more local, to give more people the opportunity to play. Um, I think that's kind of what we want to aim for, is give people the opportunity to get involved, and I think they will take it. Wonderful. And are these teams teams from regular clubs, teams from regular schools, or just uh, teams that are put together for the event itself? A mixture. Um, a mixture. So we are, we don't have really that many rules for our competition. To say we just want people to play indoor and give okay. them the chance to play. So a lot of the teams are clubs, um, but we have schools enter, and then we also have these random people say we want to play, but our club don't want to enter. So then we'll collect them all together, make our own team, and enter that as a team into the competition. So. People want to play. Let's give them a chance to play. Is kind of what we aim for. Well, absolutely. S same question that that I asked uh, Nacho also in the beginning, and and same that we saw with Madeline also. Finance obviously is is is, is a big issue. How, how do you pre-finance those things? Because you have to rent space, you have to provide a lot of uh, equipment uh, in order to get these things started. How, yeah. how do you finance these uh, events? So um, when we first started, obviously, uh, the person who organised it, um, they put a lot of money into it. Um, so they ended up buying three sets of rebound boards for the side of the pitches and all of this. So um, a lot of money has been invested into it. Mm -hmm. uh, we're also fortunate that he has a warehouse. So we store all the equipment for free in a warehouse off-site, um, which means we can move it to different sports centres and we can kind of, find the cheapest and the best to kind of make the events work. Um, so yeah, the, uh, for the first what, 10, 12 years, we did make a loss and we managed to get a sponsor to kind of cover the loss we made. But recently we started uh, making a profit and breaking even. So um, it's onwards and upwards. Absolutely. How, how are you dealing with, with, with the COVID issues in these, these difficult years? Uh, so uh, the first year, uh, we obviously had one event cancelled, which was unfortunate. We put lots of time into planning it, but obviously it just couldn't go ahead. Uh, we held one in December just gone, even though there was lots of concern. Um, 
from lots of people, but I tend, I, I really found it was more parents and spectators who were more concerned than the players and the coaches. Um, mm -hmm. I think we had two teams out of 150 drop out. So because of the COVID concern, everyone else is quite happy. Obviously we had to invest a little bit more money into hand gels and all of the COVID protocols we had to put into place, but uh, it was worth it in the end and it kind of went really well. Um, and I say, hopefully moving forward, we won't have that worry anymore. No, let, let, let's hope that uh, that we uh, we move in the in the right direction there. So, what what are if you would go? What are the biggest successes that you've encountered in in, in the pathway from over a couple of years of, of setting up these events? Uh, because I said uh, it's just kind of the growth. I think uh, I think as I said, people want to play indoor, and if you give them the chance, they will take it. Um, and we keep, I keep talking about players, but obviously we've kind of got good relationships with uh, the umpiring and officiating as well. Because there's not that many opportunities, they're quite happy to come on board and help and work with us. Um, you know, we work closely with England Hockey Umpiring. Uh, we organise one of the only umpiring courses for indoor in the country. Um, mm -hmm. Because there's no kind of official course. It's kind of most other places just chuck them onto the pitch and get on with it. <laughs> Um, which can be quite scary for some people. So we have invested in, we've made our own little background course that we run. Uh, we do young umpire development as well, because we find if we get it involved with the young people early on, when they then move through the age groups, it grows with it. Um, so the most recent age groups we've added are adults and junior, um, adult, well, the adults, men and women, because they are now the people who used to play in our competition when it first started. They've now grown and they, they want to play in it. So it means we've kind of naturally expanded. Wow, cool. So by, from starting from, from wanting to organize a birthday party uh, with, with some indoor hockey to, to today, uh, what are the numbers? Okay, birthday party, I, I, I'm guessing 12 kids. Yes, it was an invitational, so it was local teams, so three or four teams um, across one age group. We've now got... 150 teams we can accommodate in the um, in the competition in our four-day competition, uh, but we had another 100 on the wait list um, in case someone dropped out. So, and then our derby event, which we've got coming up in June, this is only the second year of running it, and we've now got over 100 teams entered, wanting to play in it as well. So, um, I'd say there is definitely interest. Around. Uh, what is what is next for you? How do you see this uh, this evolving? Uh, it, it, how's also what's the relationship now with with your NA with your national association? Is England hockey picking up on this, or do they entrust all of the indoor hockey to, to your organization, or how is this uh, evolving? Um, so we are. What we're trying to do is we're, there's lots of little private things happening in England. So there's like the Essex Indoor League, um, which. The year before COVID restrictions came into place, we signed the agreement with them to organise that. So we're trying to coordinate all of the private indoor going on and bring it together under the one umbrella. Um, from that, it makes it easier to then get sponsors and make it more like a business rather than lots of little things going on. Um, England Hockey still run their Super Sixes. They do their national championships for the under 16s, 18s and the adults. Um, we're actually now starting to work at the regional level, so the level down below the National League and bit, to work with the new areas to help them run their programmes. 
So then those events, the winners from that will then go through into the England hockey competitions. So we're, we're working, we do work closely with uh, the uh, governing bodies and stuff. So, um, and I think there's, we work alongside them. So it works nicely. Okay, perfect, perfect. Uh, sounds like a, like like a very cool project. Uh, um, if 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 somebody else would uh, would want to start with a uh, with a birthday party for for their uh, their team and 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 grow that a little bit and and help grow the game of indoor hockey in their region, what would your tips be? What are the down? What are the the dangerous the dangers and what are the the the, the good tips that you want to share with them? If you're starting out. Uh... <laughs> Uh, I think it's the same as what I said earlier, start small, don't go too big. Um, obviously, I think you kind of see all these pictures of all these big events going on, but you have to start small, start off easy. Um, don't overcommit yourself as well, I think. And do what works for you in your area, um, because um, we used to start at eight o'clock in the morning, but the teams didn't like it, so we just started <laughs> losing people out. So. We found nine o'clock start works and people were happy to turn up. So kind of it's going to be unique to everywhere you go and just you kind of need to make it work for you. And just I say, don't go too big too soon. Absolutely. Absolutely. OK, well, thanks for that for that story. Let, let's move on to uh, to Ross. Uh, PSI Pro Series Indoor. Uh, it started off in South Africa. It grew very, very big. Uh, it's now also in Europe. Tell us a little bit. Why, why, why did PSI got started? Yeah, thank you so much. Um, obviously, great to hear from everyone and everyone's different stories. Um, I think it's most important. The first thing is PSI is a business, um, although yeah. it's run like an organization. Sometimes those bank balances don't always uh, reflect the amount of uh, uh, time and effort they put, get put into indoor hockey. Um, it started off by a man called Simon Martin. Um, and basically he wanted more indoor hockey. He was in love with the sport and, um, he wanted a way to do it. So he hosted an under 18 school tournament, four teams in a municipal venue, um, which was actually a military base, um, that had a, like a wheelchair basketball slash netball, um, plastic, uh, it used to be called the cheese grater because that's how rough it was <laughs> if you fell. Um, but it started off in there. It was a, it then the following year, everyone asked, is it going to go and happen again? So he did it again. Um, but that time he ran a bit of a clinic or a way for an extra goalkeeper coaching. He was a national goalkeeper himself. Um, and basically 15 years later, sorry, that was back in 2005, uh, 15 years later, um, it's grown to 5,000 uh, players across the country, uh, Zimbabwe, um, a few in the UK, uh, Ireland um, and Namibia and yeah basically it's a franchise system so there's various people around the country around all those areas that I've mentioned they can run each franchise kind of how they want to um, the one expectation is that they have to attend the national tournaments that's kind of the um, that's the cherry on top or the or the thing that every player wants to achieve um, the latest indoor uh, tournament we had was 17 indoor courts um i'm extremely jealous of seeing madeline's facility there because we aren't blessed with um a facility that can host that amount of courts um i know full well 
how much time and effort it takes to lay those those courts and my back has definitely <laughs> taken a couple of years off my life because of it um we we, we our, our facilities range from fantastic wooden surfaces uh, indoor courts to um, concrete surfaces in the middle of nowhere that um, are municipal and therefore in yeah in the heart of of the western cape of cape town um how do you deal with but are, are these teams when you have an event the teams are all playing on the same kind of a court same kind of a flooring or do they switch switch locations so have to deal with different floorings every time as well yeah ernst i think if the franchises are listening to this i think they're they're going to go ha he's onto it okay so it's a massive thing um we have for example of those 17 courts you have vinyl you have wood you have concrete you have um, the plastic sheeting um and you have different sizes so for example all the way back to what alistair said in terms of the ideal sizing um if you want 17 courts in the size we have to have we have a 40 meter monster to a 28 meter uh, school facility that um, the wall is about a meter and a half from the baseline um that's probably even being quite uh um, generous or, yeah generous there <laughs> but what we usually do is say for example our under 13 c section um, might play at a smaller court compared to our under 18 um, a section which would basically be the the next the next step after that would be national national level um so most of the time the facilities the the, the it's a four-day tournament and the teams rotate the section um goes to a different tournament every day um but we try to keep them in a similar style, but it's definitely not guaranteed. Um, another positive is by rotating them around the Western Cape, they could be on the coastline, they could be inland, they could be closer to the mountain. And therefore, when they do travel to Cape Town, we've had a couple of teams come from outside the country as well. Obviously, Zimbabwe, Namibia are examples. Um, they then get to see the Western Cape and don't just necessarily sit in one venue from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. four days in a row. So there's pros and cons, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. How, how do you deal with being being a truly commercial organization? It's this is a for profit organization. Uh, how, how do you deal with with the the demands or or the, 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 the with the NA with with your South African organization or Ireland or the UK uh, for 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 those events? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think it's a it's a brilliant question. I think the biggest issue would be that the federation or the national organization will can never not have as much money as someone that is making money from their sport. That's always going to be the question that they're asking. Um, so I think it's always about that relationship and that conversation, how it started in the beginning, Saha South African hockey association didn't have um, the, the resources all the time to really focus on indoor hockey. It was kind of sitting there. Um, Simon Martin had the passion, had the, the time and ultimately given his life to the game for, for that amount of time and grow and, and grown the company as the two have kind of constantly just increased. They've kind of stayed side by side. Um, the biggest way that we've looked to to obviously link up is that we host the national teams during our um, tournaments. So, for example, okay. we we're fortunate enough that we could bring international players to play against them. So this way it gives us entertainment in the evening for all our spectators, but it also benefits the national team because everything's volunteer, everything's self-funded. So if these players can now come to a tournament and play against the best players like Robert Tichers, et cetera, in the world, um, but at the same time, then they don't have to pay a cent because they can umpire during the day or maybe run tech table or merely just be around to, to mentor these, these younger players. It's kind of like a, um, it's mutually beneficial. Um, mm -hmm. Naturally, 
the federation will always want to get a hold on it. Um, and I think that's always the, the, the difficulty as to how much we can give before we don't make overheads, um, make salaries, pay for the facilities, because all these things cost money. So yeah, uh, yeah to anyone that's starting out um, and potentially concerned about that, I'd say you have to have that conversation and see, are they willing to, to grow the game? And if their answer potentially is not really, well, then you kind of got to do it yourself if you're passionate about it and then maybe deal with it or, or, or chat about it later. Well, great, great. Uh, absolutely. So what, what, uh, what, what's the biggest success that you've encountered with, with, with BSI? What, what would you rate your biggest success in, in all those years? Um, honestly, and this might even come from me personally, uh, looking at the two teams that we were going to be sending to the World Cup in Liege this year, um, yeah. if you look at the two teams that were put out, um, especially on the men's side, I think it's 80% of those players have all come through the PSI system. Um, they might have started playing at 11 years old, and now they're 21. And they've literally, if you look at the Kasim brothers, just an example, um, they're hitting the world stage. They would have played for a small franchise in the Western Cape, and they would have played more indoor hockey than anyone else in the country just because they started so young. Um, and I think that would probably be the, it makes it all worth it, all that time that you put in, because these players are now, they've had a platform to go and compete at the highest stage. Um, and I think, yeah, PSI might have facilitated that. Obviously, it's all down to their own effort. We can't take credit for that. But it's just a platform that they can play more. And um, that's the dream. Absolutely. absolutely. How do you see that uh, the, the, the indoor hockey can benefit the outdoor hockey in, in your country and, and vice versa, probably? Yeah, Ernst, again... Great question. I think I was looking at Nacho's um, indoor facility there that he had. And the game is chaos. It's meant to be, we always, our session design is meant to be chaos. So when you put a, players on courts with a wall, a tree, no lines, that's maybe why we then start realizing the Spanish have such amazing flair. It's just an example. But if you can just play off a wall, you can definitely play off a perfect metal board that costs 75,000 euro. Um, like it's, I think that's probably that's probably to me the biggest benefit. Um, obviously, if you do have that fantastic facility, it just, in terms of zonal defense, understanding lines, working with your goalkeeper, baseline defense, all those areas are so key and you can't really hide an indoor. So you get so much hockey um, where maybe an outdoor you get stuck up as right forward and get told to go stand in the opposite circle. Um, you can't really do that in indoor. So you get so much ball and um, yeah, you also coach as seven or eight players to coach compared to 20 or 18. Mm -hmm. You get more contact time and you can really kind of grow the individual a lot better. Absolutely, absolutely. Great story as well. Let, let, let me bring on a question here from, from the audience here. We've got uh, Harry. Um, so a question for all, uh, as he says here, is how do you promote access to regular training at a local level? Because these tournaments are all amazing, but he's just struggling to find the facility to train on a regular basis and to fit it in into his outdoor situation. So, uh, well, Ross, you were talking. Let, let, let's start maybe with you, and then we'll, we'll go through the others for the same question. Yeah, agreed. Harry, um, an example. Last night, I trained with the Irish woman from 9 p.m. till 10.30 at night um, because that's the only time we could get an indoor facility. Um, it's, it's one of the situations where if, if, the play, if there's a demand for it and, there's, and it's beneficial, you kind of have to find a way to make it work. And I know that sounds like a bit of a cop-out because 
again, sometimes you just can't find a facility. But to me, blitzes, clinics, um, once you can kind of pre-book or, or anticipate when you can host an event, you can get into a calendar and therefore people can prioritize it. I think we all know the worst thing for, for parents or, or is, uh, by the way, we're doing something on Saturday and they were like, we, why, we've only been told four days in advance. So if you can try, find a facility firstly, that you can create a relationship with where you say, we, we're more than likely going to take this booking, maybe pay a deposit if you have that, those funds, um, and then get that out in early a couple of blitzes across the season when there are gaps. Um, and even if you cater then for the players that are just below elite level, um, a lot of those players don't actually play a lot of hockey. It's usually your A-sides. And again, I'm, I'm generalizing here, but usually your A-sides, they're the ones that are doing national uh, interprovincial uh, clubs. Um, sometimes the lower teams don't. Okay. Harry, you're on stage now. If you want to follow up on the question there. I will. Firstly, hi, Ross. I haven't seen you since uh, our coaching conference in the summer. But, it's been too uh, long. Too long, I know, mate. Uh, to all of you, this it's the battle I have, and it's, it's, I don't think it's unique to England, but we find with the school kids, they are taken to so many other sports as well. And so I love what you're saying there about, you know, finding that late time on a Wednesday night to find them to train. And with the senior men, I do that at club and we sneak it in wherever we can. When I've got under 12s up to under 18s who have rugby trials they've got netball trials they've got cricket um, nets at night they've got everything else going on it's a real struggle to try and find the time to not only go here's outdoor at school here's outdoor at club and county and representation here's also indoor now as well and the take up for it they love it but they physically can't find the time through overtraining through everything else to be able to balance themselves so I guess it's from what you've seen, especially the stuff that Madeline showed in America, which I'm just, I'm drooling at that, that court. Like that just looks unbelievable. <laughs> um, but with that is how on earth do you find the time to balance kids' expectations and parents' expectations as well at junior level representation? Madeline, you want to take on? Sure. I mean, it's definitely a tough dilemma, um, but I, I will definitely say, Harry, you're not alone. Um, I think a lot of clubs in the U.S. have that same struggle. Um, and it, I think it's just getting a little creative in your programming and how, and there's not, there's not, this is just suggestions for sure. Um, but you know, maybe you do tie in indoor in the non-indoor season, just to start really getting the, the drive for it. Um, because you're not gonna, kids are not gonna, you know, choose which sports they want to go to until they really find, you know, what they want to do. Um, so I think if you can expose them to as, as much as possible, so maybe that does include, you know, having some summer training, but maybe you just have an indoor practice um, and you have them working on those, you know, smaller finesse skills um, and, and, you know, not, you know, big hit, you know, ball hitting, that kind of stuff. Um, and that might be the best thing to try to boost that. But, you know, as Ross said, finding a good, you know, partner in a facility that can be flexible with you and is willing to work with you and maybe even, you know, sponsor you as their indoor club, um, I think is, you know, the, is a good avenue as well. Um, and working with your schools too. So maybe that is you picking up your stick and saying, Hey, can I come to, you know, I don't, I guess your physical education class exists, I'm sure. <laughs> um, and if you could, you know, be, be a guest, guest in this high school system and give, you know, an hour, um, demo of what indoor hockey is. Um, we in the United States, um, we do have, you know, our Grow the Game funding initiative um, where we send, you know, smaller 
organizations, clubs, balls, or I'm um, sorry, sticks and balls. Um, indoors, obviously a little different. Um, we did something, you know, it's more like floor hockey where you have, and this is a, you know, just calling, calling my, my, my demographic, um, you know, similar to ice hockey, but so it looks like an ice hockey stick, but it's floor hockey. Um, so there's even, you know, those baby steps that you can get them involved into just using the ball and a stick on the floor. Um, yeah, that's what mm -hmm. I got. <laughs> Will, Will, what's your take on this? Um, I do kind of agree with what's been said. I think we need to look more on the outside, out season. Um, I think if you aim for the summer, you find that sport tools are more available because everyone wants to be outside. So you have to be the crazy one to go inside. Um, and that, yeah, but it is difficult to, as I say, to compete with the other sports. And I think, you know, from my experience, obviously Harry's from Bedford, it's kind of more of a sport thing over here. I think that the hockey is kind of fighting against the other sports anyway, outdoor and indoor. So it is a bit more challenging. Um, yeah, it's, I say, aim for out of season and get in, get in early, I think. Try and get into your schools and, as it's already been said, target them. Like I was saying earlier, we started off, at a young age group, we grew it through the older age groups um, as the demand was there. And I think that's if you can target the younger ones first, hopefully then it will encourage them to stay on and keep doing it throughout the year or throughout the seasons. Nacho, any thoughts on this? Because you have a lot of kids from the schools exactly also. So probably also with uh, active in different sports. Uh, yeah. How do you deal with that and, and get the, 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 the facilities and the time to get them to training as well, not just playing yeah. the tournaments. But I think here is a little bit different because uh, here is, uh, I think it's easier for us to find uh, an indoor court than an outdoor uh, water-based uh, pitch. So uh, we, we have an structure that every players in Spain, uh, uh, they, they play indoor and outdoor. And during the year, uh, you, you can find uh, a moment like two months for each category, each, uh, yeah, each level to play indoor season. So uh, we have a structure that uh, from if, if the season begins uh, on September, from September to, to December, we play under 16 uh, in uh, the season and the rest of the, of the hockey family are in outdoor uh, from January to March, uh, they are the seniors and the under-18 players playing uh, indoor season as the European competitions. And from uh, February, March to May, uh, you, you can play with uh, the under-14. And also, I forget, uh, under-12 uh, players uh, play at the same time that under-16 in the beginning of the season in, from September to December. So, uh, if, if you do in that way, you can uh, like reserve or get one uh, indoor uh, venue for all the season and, and you are putting different categories during the year, but always are, uh, you, you have like a, a, a slot uh, in a way close for you for hockey. And, and probably it's more easy to, to find a, a venue for the whole year that if you want only play one month and, and, 
uh, almost at least here is easy to to find uh, somewhere for rent uh, if, if you are if you will rent it to the in, into the whole year. So I don't know if maybe it, it will uh, uh, work to Harry. I don't know. Yeah, so I think yeah, be creative with your seasons. I think that that's that's a very good uh, good idea as well. Harry, did we answer your question? Do you have follow-ups? No, just to say thank you. Um, spot on from all of that. It's nice to hear it from four different backgrounds and from four different people, but it's also nice to hear that the struggles are the same with other people as well. And that gives a lot of confidence to someone who's trying to start something and trying to build something up. Um, and obviously seeing the size that you guys have got it to is, is really impressive and natural, especially from what you've done where it's nothing and you've got trees in the middle of courts. Um, we're, we're quite fortunate here to not have as, as hard as that. So, so thank you, all of you. No, thank you, uh, Benjamin and Harry, for the, for, the, for the questions here. Do we have, uh, do you have any other questions from people? You can raise your hand or ask the questions in the Q&A. Uh, now is the time. Um, let, let, me, let me ask all of you uh, guys, the four of you, uh, one, one final uh, question. Um, what would be your number one tip? for anybody who wants to start whatever the, 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 the project, indoor hockey-related project they want to start, if this is club-related or commercially related or they just want to do tournaments or a league, what would be your number tip, uh, number one tip for, for uh, somebody who is uh, yeah, launching into the adventure of creating indoor hockey for their country? Uh, Ross, let's uh, maybe start with you. Yeah, and again, a simple one. Just start. Like yeah. if you have six kids on an indoor court and you do technical work and play a three on three, they'll have a time of their life. If you have 5,000 cheapers, then good <laughs> luck. But um, I think it's, yeah, just start. Uh, great. Absolutely agree there. Madeline, what would be uh, your number one tip? Um, oh boy. It's, it's a, a combo between having fun with Ross says and, um, you know, making it making it a good experience. Um, but I've always been the believer: if you have the facilities, people will come. Um, so if you can, even if it's you know of a, a tree in the court type scenario, if you have it and you make it a fun and desirable event, um, people will want to play and want to figure out what it's about. No, absolutely. Will, what would be your number one tip? Think outside the box. <laughs> You don't always need necessarily what you're being taught. You know, they say it's indoor hockey, as we heard. It could be played outdoors. You don't need the rebound boards. You know, there's lots of costs involved. Just, there are ways around it. You just need to think it through. Great one, great one. Nacho, one final tip from you. Uh, I, I, I think I'm in the way of pros. Just start and just uh, don't, don't, don't be afraid to, to go to another new school or new group of, of kids, or don't, don't be afraid about that, and 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 try to be passionate and uh, and ask for for them to to bring another another friend the next day. If if they if they enjoy the, the uh, one day, they have to bring with another friend the next day. And it's bring a friend is something that always works in any kind of situation. Very good tip, Nacho, there. Uh, guys, thank you very much. We, we've been talking almost for, for 90 minutes now, so uh, uh, we are going to wrap it up here, unless uh, there are some people with a last-minute question that want to pop up and raise their hand. Now is the moment. 
Otherwise, uh, people, we want to thank you for your time and especially, obviously, uh, our, our coaches here in the panel. Uh, Nacho, Ross, Will and uh, Madeline, that was absolutely great. Um, Mike, I'm going to bring you back on stage in case that you want to uh, have a last uh, say on this as well. Um, so, uh, thanks everybody. What we'll do now is uh, probably we'll end this session after final word of Mike here. And then the, you have the possibility to, uh, to enter into the lounge where you see some tables where we can meet up and, and have some more one-on-one uh, -on -one questions if you need. Uh, other than that, uh, already from, from my end, uh, Nacho, Ross, Will and Madeline, thank you very much for your time and insights here. This was very inspirational. Mike. Thank you. And yeah, I just echo what Ant said. A massive thank you to, to the four of you or to, or to the five of you, Alistair, as well. Um, really do appreciate your time and your sharing. I know that we had chats before this call and there's probably a million other bits of advice and information that you could you could share about, um, about how we can implement indoor hockey. I, I would just challenge anyone who's listening, um, anyone who's here to... Um, try not to think about the things and the reasons why you can't do indoor hockey, but try and think about solutions as to how you can. Um, you don't need indoor sticks. You can use outdoor sticks. You don't, you don't even need boards to start with. Just, just play on a flat surface and, and, um, and, and start from there. Um, Harry, if you've got a five-court sports hall at your school, um, which I know you have, Maybe you have a chat with Will and he can uh, bring in some kit for you and uh, set up a competition um, at a weekend um, or, or, on a, or on an evening or even as part of the school activities and that gets it going. And um, I, I know that those of us coach and those of us play know that actually at the end of the day, everyone wants to play a game of hockey. They don't necessarily want to train. Um, training's great, but actually if you just say, hey, come along at this time, um, we'll put some teams together and play some indoor hockey. Um, they will be there, uh, I guarantee it. So there's there's always solutions. Um, uh, I think often we we try to find a reason why we can't do it, but we certainly can. Um, and indoor hockey, um, as Ernst said at the very beginning, doesn't have to be indoor. It can be outdoor. It's just it needs to be on a flat surface. But uh, that really is it. Um, so... Finally, uh, just a massive thank you, Ernst, to you uh, once again for um, orchestrating um, this this session. Um, it it will be uh, it has been recorded, so we'll we'll make it available um, afterwards. Um, but uh, yeah, as he said, we'll go into the um, the lobby now, and there's an opportunity to join join some tables, ask some some questions that you perhaps didn't want to ask ask in this uh, uh, with everybody else here at once. So. Um, yeah, Ernst, thank you very much. Um, back to you. Big, with, with pleasure, Mike. So everybody, uh, thanks very much. We're going to close this session here now. That means that everybody in the audience will automatically go back to the lounge where you can find a spot at the table uh, and we will join you there and, uh, and see if there are some one-on-one -on -one questions that need to be answered there. And otherwise, uh, thanks everybody for joining in. And uh, like uh, Mike and all of the uh, panelists here said, Let's just make it happen and let's just uh, put indoor hockey back on the, on the map here. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. <laughs>